0: There are many people who are living in the grip of guilt. It's controlling them far more than they realize. Today, we'll see how we can move from a mindset of guilt to a life of grace. This message is the 12th in the series, Remind. The message is entitled, From Guilt to Grace, Part 1. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Again, grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets as you do. Let's go ahead and welcome all the folks in Frederick this morning, all you folks at our Frederick campus. We give you a good greeting and welcome this morning. It's great to be together studying God's Word. Just a quick reminder, as Jody mentioned a moment ago, Easter is right around the corner. We really want to encourage you as we go into the Easter season to use this as an opportunity to reach out to people. A great moment where you can invite people to come to church with you. So when you plan to come to the Thorn or one of our Sunday Easter services, make sure that you don't come by yourself. Would you say this with me? Everyone, bring one. Say it with me. Everyone, bring one. There's somebody that you know that needs a relationship with Jesus Christ that will come to church with you over Easter that perhaps wouldn't come any other time of the year, but they will come and they'll see an amazing presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and many hundreds of them will give their lives to Christ, so be a part of that outreach. outreach. This weekend we're continuing our series of messages called Remind. This is our next to the last message in the series, so next weekend we will wrap it up. We're talking about this weekend and next weekend moving from guilt to grace. How do we move from guilt to grace in our spiritual journey? Now, as we're talking about in this series, what you think is very important. God created your mind not just as a physical organ that sits in your skull, but as a thought process, as a way to actually set the course for your life. And the Bible is very clear about this. One of our theme verses, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, be careful what you think because your thoughts are doing what? They, your thoughts are running your life it's the operating system of your life I hope that you've memorized that verse by now it's certainly become very familiar to you over these next over these last several weeks together the Apostle Paul also talks about how our thoughts are key in changing our lives helping us to grow as Christians Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says don't copy the behavior and customs of this world but let God transform you that in fact implies that we need to be transformed let God transform you into a new person by changing changing the way you you think then you will learn to know God's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect so we understand and learn more of the will of God as our minds are renewed or changed so we think holy thoughts and we think healthy thoughts so God's plan for your life is to help you to think in more holy ways and in more healthy ways now i'm going to do a little diagram here on the board for us today and please don't laugh at my artwork, okay, because I am not an artist. I'm going to try my best to draw a brain, okay, so if this doesn't look like a brain, just pretend that this is a brain, all right? Your brain sits in your skull, and it looks something like this, okay? I know it's pitiful, but there it is, okay? And there's the skull around it, and inside your brain, as you've seen probably pictures before, it's very wrinkly and All kind of aspects to the wrinkles of your brain, the gray matter there, white matter there that's in your brain. And inside these little processes of your your crevices of your brain are thought structures. They're neurons and so forth that fire off with thoughts and as certain thoughts are consistent Uh, They begin to form patterns of thinking, and you learn habits of thinking over a period of time, so that actually you don't actually have to think about doing things; you just do them automatically because these these pathways are in place. For example, you get in your car; you don't really think about driving. Have you ever been somewhere before and you didn't even realize how you got there? And you realize you did all the things that were involved in driving, uh, watching all the cars around you, and applying the brakes when you needed to, accelerating when you needed to. You really were not consciously thinking about it, but over time you form habit patterns in your thought processes that allowed you to do this. And so it's a very efficient way that your brain works because it's learning how to actually set patterns up. Now this can be very helpful for us, but it can also be very hurtful for us because what happens over a period of time if we're not thinking the right way, if our thoughts are not holy, that is the way God wants us to think, and healthy, that is the way that He made us to think, then we begin to have problems in our brain. We have these little X's I'm going to call here, little X's that happen in our brain. And these little X's are little block points that keep us from functioning every way God designed for us to function. Now, we add into this mix, not only ourselves, because sometimes we're our worst enemies, right? Sometimes you're your worst enemy. I am. I sort of mess my own self up. But in addition to me being an enemy to myself at times, there is another enemy called Satan. He's very real. And he has a realm of darkness. And Satan in the realm of darkness with demonic entities wants to get into your mind. That's the battlefield. Because if he can establish these strongholds in your thinking, if he can affect the way you think... He can literally control or run your life because the Bible says that uh, our thoughts are doing what? Running our life. That's, what pat- that's where the patterns come from. And so there is an adversary. Don't ever underestimate the reality of that, that truth. There is an adversary that wants to build wrong ways of thinking inside of you so that your life is destroyed. The Bible says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And oftentimes, it happens through the way that we think. In addition, there are also attacks that come from the realm of darkness against us from the outside against our mind. Have you ever had just a thought come at you? You say, where did that come from? It was a bad thought, something that sort of hit your mind. You didn't even realize or could not understand exactly where it came from, but you were dealing with it coming into your thought process. And so the enemy comes along and affects us internally by the thought patterns and externally by the attacks that come our way. Now, there are many different aspects of attack that we could talk about. We've been talking about a number of them over the last several weeks. I want to turn our attention today to one specific aspect of attack. I want to talk to you about guilt and shame. Say it with me. Guilt and shame. Because perhaps this is one of the areas of attack that the enemy uses so effectively in many of our lives because what he does is he actually takes something that was designed to be good and turns it against us in a very negative way. And what I want to do this weekend is talk to you about some things related to guilt and shame so that you can protect yourself against the assault of this, either internally or externally. And they'll, this weekend and next weekend, I'm going to give you five principles to learn how to move from, grace, for, excuse me, from guilt to grace, living in the grace of God, and today we'll look at three of those. So if you have your notes, you can take a look at me with me at the very first point for this weekend. First of all, we need to understand that guilt is good, a God-given guidance system, that we must understand first and foremost that guilt is not a bad thing. Guilt actually is a good thing. It's a good designed gift to us by God if it's used the right way. Let me explain this to you. When God created humanity, God made male and female humanity, He put us on this earth, He gave us a living soul, He made us a being, a living being. Different from the animals, because we were separated from the animals by the fact that God breathed into mankind a living soul. As a part of that breath of God in us, the creation of God in humanity, He gave us the capacity for something called a conscience. Your conscience is an internal system That gives you information about what is right and what is wrong. God put it inside of you. This awareness factor that comes to the surface from time to time and gives you these little signs that that was right and that was wrong and indicates how you need to respond morally in life's circumstances and situations. Now, conscience is not perfect. We'll talk about it in a few moments, how conscience sometimes gets affected by the way that we make choices in life and how we live, but this is a God-given gift. The fact that you have a conscience, that's a gift from God. Conscience was first awakened in humanity in the Garden of Eden. God told Adam and Eve, I'm going to put you in this garden, you've got this beautiful place to live. I'm going to give you all that you want, but there's one commandment I'm going to ask you to obey. There's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of that tree, because the day you eat of it, a process of death is going to occur. You're going to step into something that will be very destructive. And so this is the tree is there because you need to have a choice of obedience. God never robs us of free will, so he gives us the choice to obey him. And so many people say, Well, why was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden? Because God wanted man to serve Him, not not as a puppet, but out of a will, out of a choice that He's made. So you can't choose if there are not two choices, right? And so there's a tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says... Don't choose that one because when you eat of it, you surely will die. Well, the serpent comes along. You know the story. Genesis chapter 3 tempts Adam and Eve. Of course, we know the story. Adam and Eve partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They sin. They disobey God. Now, go with me to Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, and let's see what happens here. This is after the serpent had had began to make this ploy, this deception against Eve. And the Bible says that the woman was convinced, as convinced by the serpent's words and temptation. She saw that the tree, that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her so she took some of the fruit and ate it then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too at that moment what moment at the moment they sinned the bible says their eyes were open and they suddenly felt what for the very first time in human history what has come on the scene What emotion now has been experienced by humanity? They've now experienced shame because their conscience has been awakened by sin. The fact that they sinned in that moment, that recognition, we did what God told us not to do. There was something on the inside that created this response of shame. A good thing, by the way. Notice what else happens here. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves, so the Bible says they're trying to cover up their sin. Instead of dealing with it the right way, letting their conscience lead them back to God, they try to cover over it, okay? But the conscience was a good thing. What I want you to see today is that every person here, God has put a conscience inside of you, a sense of what should be right and wrong. Again, it's an imperfect guide because of how we program it many times, but there is a conscience in you, and your conscience creates guilt for you at times, shame even for you at times, when you violate God's Word and violate God's will. And it's actually like an internal warning system, an internal warning mechanism. Think about the dashboard of your car, that if you're driving down the car and there's this red light that begins to flash on the dashboard, it's telling you something, right? It's telling you there's a problem here, there's something going on, warning, warning. There's a part of your system that needs to be addressed. That's what guilt is designed to do for you and me. In its healthiest way, guilt is designed to make you aware of when you've stepped off the path and you're getting into something that's going to be trouble. For example, if your your oil gauge comes on on the dashboard of your car and you don't attend to it, what's going to happen? Well, ultimately, you can burn the motor of your car up. You can destroy a very expensive part of your car by ignoring the warning system. Well, when you ignore God-given guilt, what happens is it puts you on a pathway toward destruction. When you ignore it, when you push it aside, you don't properly pay attention to it. So in its right form, guilt and shame, these are actually gifts from God to us. They're an internal warning system for your life, for your morality. Let's go to the second point together. The second thing that we must understand... Is this? By the way, in terms of uh, there are two things on your notes. And I may not go exactly over all the notes today because uh, I just simply want to talk to you a bit from my heart. But also let me tell you something else that, that guilt and shame does for you. It makes you aware that you're a sinner. And that's a good thing because you'll never seek a Savior until you're a sinner. If you don't think that you're a sinner, you'll never approach Jesus to be your Savior. And so what drives us or draws us, probably is a better word, to Jesus being our Savior is the guilt we recognize of the fact that we are sinners in need of a Savior, someone to wash us from our sins. And then also it makes us aware of the fact that we've slipped off the path and that we need to get right with God again because we fall in prey to temptation. So again, conscience, guilt, shame, these are good. Let's go to the second point now. The second thing we need to understand is that guilt, if you don't handle it the right way, guilt can become a horrible monster in your life. If you don't respond the right way to guilt, I mean, this thing can get really big and destructive to you. And let me talk to you about two ways that guilt, when you don't handle it the right way, begins to turn into a monster. I'll use two words here. The first word is that it can harden you. Or it can bring you into condemnation. It can, de- can condemn you. So would you please say those two words with me. Harden, condemn. Together. Harden, condemn. If you don't let guilt work as it needs to work in your life, as this internal warning system for you, you don't respond to it the right way, this is the pathway that will be led to, you'll be led to in your life. Very, very destructive, monstrous stuff. Let's talk about them individually for a moment. Hardened. When you begin to feel guilty about something and you ignore the guilt, in fact, not only do you ignore it, but you try to silence it by saying, well, that's not really wrong, or you try to justify it, or you try to rationalize that what you're doing is really okay, something happens to your conscience. You begin to actually warp and harden your conscience. Because you're silencing, you're pushing down the voice of your conscience, and what and it's almost like going into the dashboard of your car and, and, and taking the wires off the warning system so it doesn't light up anymore. Because while God is trying to make you aware of something that is wrong, you're justifying it or rationalizing it and silencing the voice of the Holy Spirit or the voice of your conscience, and what occurs in your heart, your heart actually becomes Hardened and insensitive, or another word would be calloused, hardened, calloused. If you ever worked outside, maybe it's about to happen with springtime, many of you will go outside and start doing stuff in the yard. You'll start hoeing and cutting grass and doing all kinds of things. You'll come back in after the first day or so of doing that, and you'll have something on your hands called blisters, right? You know why? Because right now your hands are very tender, They haven't been doing, for many of you, outside kind of work. And so you'll come in, you have these blisters. But if you continue to do that work over a period of time, your blisters will turn into calluses exactly what happens with guitar players. When they first start playing the guitar, they have very sensitive fingertips. But over a period of time, you actually form little calluses on the end of your fingers that allow you to play the guitar without feeling the pain. And so notice that statement, without feeling the pain. That's exactly what happens with your conscience, that if you begin to resist the voice of your conscience, what occurs over a period of time is that the conscience doesn't even speak to you anymore, that you don't even hear it anymore. Because you've silenced it, you've become hardened to it. That little voice has now drifted away. And anytime God's saying, Look, this is wrong, and you continue to go down the pathway, what you're doing is you're silencing your conscience and justifying your behavior and you're setting yourself up in a major way for a trap. Why? Because you're not responding the right way to guilt. And hardness of heart is a very dangerous condition. Let's go in the Scriptures and see what it says about this. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, very powerful passage. The Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times... Some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and read the rest with me, and their consciences are dead. The Bible says that one of the problems that's going to occur in the last days, the closer we get to the time that Jesus Christ comes back again, is the harder people's consciences will be. They will be deadened to even realize what sin is. It happens in individuals. It happens in societies. Even in our society today. Things that we used to understand and recognize as being wrong, we call right now. Why? Because we've been insensitized to it. We've, we've rejected what God says about certain things, and because of that, we're no longer sensitive to the reality of what God actually says in His Word regarding things. We've become hardened. It can, again, happen individually to you. It can happen in a relationship. It can happen society to us. To Societyally, so, I can't say the word. You got it. Anyway, all right? Notice the next one. Hebrews 4, verse 7, latter part. Read with me. Today, when you hear His voice, don't So if God comes along and says, that's wrong in your life, don't do what? Don't harden your heart. Now let's go to the next part of it, okay? So we don't want to become hardened, amen? No, I don't want this. This is the wrong way to respond to guilt, to just kind of reject it and become hard. But neither do we want to fall prey to this other thing here called condemnation. And condemnation primarily occurs in in, in two ways. Let me tell you how condemnation occurs. Condemnation occurs when you feel guilt for uh, for things that are not wrong. This primarily affects us psychologically. If you grew up in a family where you were always the problem in the family and your feeling was, I can't do anything right. And it was a lot of pointing to you, of you being a problem, you being the issue, you being the, 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 the situ- you being the one in the situation that created turmoil or whatever it might have been in your family. If you grew up with that environment that you couldn't do anything right, what do you carry probably with you all the time? A little sense of guilt and shame about your life There's this feeling that maybe I'm just not right. And so there are a lot of people who are going through their life feeling as though they're basically the problem for anything that happens around them. They're owning a lot of false guilt. And the enemy loves to come along and infiltrate our minds with false guilt to make us feel guilty for things that we're not, we should not feel guilty about. See, every issue that happens in life is not your fault. Did you know that? Every problem that arises in a relationship is not your fault. Now, some of it may be your fault, and you ought to own the parts that are your fault. But if something's not your fault, it's not, you're, not, you're not to take on the guilt of the world. Dear ones, let me tell you, there's only one that could take on the guilt of the whole world, and his name is Jesus. Okay? And You can't take that on in your life and live your life effectively if you're always living in an atmosphere of false guilt, that you haven't learned to experience the beauty of God's grace and the reality of how that grace really does set you free. In fact, notice, if you will, actually we'll get to it in just a moment. I won't read it for you right now, a passage that helps us to understand that. But here's another way that we live in condemnation. We live in condemnation when we actually have gone, we, we've done something wrong and we know that we sinned against God. We actually felt sorry for it and went to God and asked Him for forgiveness and, and confessed our sins to Him. But we, we didn't receive the forgiveness. We didn't accept the gift that was given. And so while God forgave us, we did not forgive ourselves. And there's a lot of people like that as well. It's not just a matter of feeling guilty about something that was that was false. No, it was actually something, it was a legitimate moment of guilt because they did something they should not have done, or said something they should not have said, or, or, or spoken something that spoke something they should not have spoken. But they had legitimate guilt and they actually went to God and said, God, please forgive me. I'm sorry, I'm wrong. And then while God extended forgiveness, they didn't accept that forgiveness. They didn't experience the I now accept the forgiveness of God and forgive myself there are a lot of you here this morning that's exactly where you are that God has forgiven you but you haven't forgiven yourself of something but you look back in your life you realize wow, well, it's not just a matter of having regrets because you can have regrets without being condemned I have some regrets in my life how about you anybody have some regrets in your life if I had a do over I would do them over right If I had a do-over, I would do them differently because I've learned lessons along the way. It's one thing to have good, healthy regrets that give you lessons for your life. It's another thing to be stuck in a sense of guilt that you can't break out of over something you actually did that was wrong. And God has forgiven you, and you haven't forgiven yourself. And the enemy loves that because let me show you what happens. When you're living in, in guilt when you're living in guilt and shame that's not properly uh, processed, it, it just shows up and harasses you. And oftentimes it'll, it'll harass you at the most inopportune times. You have a great moment, something wonderful is going to happen in your life or the potential of something wonderful is going to happen in your life, and this horrible guilt shows up and sabotages you. you says, oh, you're not worthy of that. Oh, that good can't happen to you. After all, remember what you did. Remember all the mistakes that you made. Remember that thing you did five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Remember that thing you did last week. You're not worthy of that. And so there's this sabotaging effect of guilt. It robs us of confidence. So you can't walk in confidence when you feel guilty. It's impossible to live in confidence when you're feeling guilty on the inside. And so here's this monster that shows up in your mind, and there's either it's false guilt, things you shouldn't feel guilty for, that you're feeling guilty for, or actual true legitimate guilt that you haven't processed the right way, and you're still living under the grip of its condemnation. See, Jesus wants to help you to move from guilt to grace, amen? And grace is very different. Grace is the free gift of God's forgiveness. I'm going to talk more about that here in just a moment. So we must understand that we don't want to live with a hardened heart that is ignoring conscience, ignoring the Holy Spirit, ignoring those things that are wrong, nor condemnation, living in the pain of that continual aspect of life. Let's go to the third point together. With this, we're going to wrap up today. Wrong guilt should motivate us to... to, Wrong guilt should be rejected, and right guilt should motivate us to make... The right make right, things right with God and with others. And so, if you have wrong guilt, what should you do? It's on your notes there. What? What's the word? Everybody say reject. Okay. You've got to learn to reject wrong guilt, and then what must you do with right guilt? It needs to what? Motivate. In your mind, that when when guilt shows up and it's wrong guilt, that is, it's a guilt that either is trying to make you harden your heart or lead you into condemnation, what should you do with it? Learn how to reject that, or we might say eject that from your mind, correct? You don't want that stuff in your head, right? You don't want your mind to become hardened to sin, nor do you want your mind always being troubled by things that God has forgiven you of or things you're feeling condemned about. So you have to reject the wrong guilt, and then also learn to have right guilt motivate you. Because here's the objective, okay? Here's the objective for your life as a Christian. The objective is to live your life with a clear conscience, okay? This is powerful. One of the most powerful things you'll ever bring to your Christian journey is a clear conscience, That you can go to bed at night and lay your head on a pillow and know that everything's right between you and God, and as far as possible, everything is right between you and people. That you've done everything possible to make your life right with God and right with people. And there's nothing that can help you better to have a rest in your soul than to have a clear conscience. Because if you have a troubled conscience, it's going to trouble a lot of areas of your life. Let's take a look at what the Bible says about a clear conscience. Notice Acts 24, verse 16. Because of this, Paul says, I always try to maintain a clear conscience before God and all people. Paul says, I'm always trying to do what? Maintain a clear conscience. Here's what you must understand about a clear conscience. Let me change colors here might help us out to see the, the distinction here. To have a clear conscience is going to require some work. Paul said I have to work to maintain this. There's some effort that goes into this. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience what? Keep your conscience clear. Timothy, you need to keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. That is, if we we don't handle our conscience the right way, what's going to happen? It's going to shipwreck our life. It's going to be trouble. It's going to create problems for us. And so Paul says, Timothy, you need to make sure that you keep a clear conscience, that you make sure that this is not violated. Now, let's go to the, add another word here, work and keep. Work to have a clear conscience and keep a clear conscience, maintain or keep. Now, what does it mean to keep a clear conscience? Let me use another metaphor or another analogy with you this morning. Any of you ever had a garden before? Raise your hand, had a garden, okay? Uh, okay, put those down. Even if you actually know someone that had a garden. You didn't have one, but you knew someone, okay? At least, okay, at least we're all on the same page, right? <laughs> gardens, if you have a garden, or if you know someone that has a garden, okay, you must understand that gardens have this tendency to grow weeds. I mean, you don't, you don't, you don't go out and plant weed seed. You actually plant produce seed right you plant tomatoes and whatever it is that you plant you know you put them in the ground these precious seed there and you're hoping they come up and you're waiting you're just waiting and praying this little seed's going to come up and while you're waiting for the fruit to come up what pops up overnight all these weeds you say where did they i didn't plant that I didn't put weed seed in the ground, but where are all these weeds coming from? Well, weeds are a part of the curse. Weeds are a part of the fact that we live in a broken world. And so you have to learn how to deal with weeds. And I want to tell you that weeds love to grow up in your mind as well. Those are those mind monsters. And so to keep a clear conscience, you've got to, again, using a different analogy, you have to keep the weeds out. You have to weed your garden. And I will tell you something else. If you've ever had a garden or if you've known someone that has one, You better stay on top of it, because if you don't go out there every day and pluck up those weeds every day, it will get away from you quickly, and before long, what happens is this. The weeds overtake everything else, and that's why a lot of us as Christians, we don't have a lot of produce going on in our our lives. There's not a lot of fruit there, because we very seldom do any weeding. We never seldom get the stuff out of our minds that are keeping us from a clear conscience before God. Can I ask you this morning just a very simple question? Do you truly have a clear conscience before God? In your life right now, have you dealt with, come to grips with things that God says are wrong and acknowledge them as being wrong and then approach them the way God says to approach them by repentance and By confession and letting God clean clean your life out, have you learned how to keep a clear conscience before God? Do you know how to keep the weeds out of your garden? Let's talk about how we do this as we wrap up here today. There are two things that are necessary. We've already talked about the first: you reject false guilt. John chapter eight verse thirty-one and thirty-two. The Jews had believed him. Jesus said, "If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And what will the truth do for you?" So, if you're living under false guilt, what do you need? Truth, okay? What will truth do for you? Truth will liberate you. Truth will set you free. But the second thing you have to do is you have to address your real guilt, as we've just referred to. Address the real guilt. Let your real, legitimate guilt draw you to God for cleansing and for reconciliation. Hebrews 10, 21 and 22. And since we have a great priest, everybody say his name is Jesus, together his name is Jesus, that's who our great priest is, over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Here the writer of Hebrews says, this is what you do to have a clear conscience before God. When you sense that you've done something wrong, you're out of God's plan, His Word, His will. What you do is instead of running away from God, you immediately run to God, draw near to God. Don't run from Him, run to Him. Now, the natural tendency that we have when we do something wrong is to run away from the wrong. But God says, don't run away from it, run to it, because He is your high priest. That is, He's the one that can create absolution for you and forgiveness for you, and so you run to Him, honestly confessing your sins to Him, and the Bible says that what He will do is He will sprinkle you with His blood, if you will, the water and washing of the blood, and there's a cleansing that occurs in your life in that moment that is a gift from God to you. It's called forgiveness. Now, you have to understand forgiveness. What is the root word for forgiveness? What is in the center of forgiveness? There's a for and a ness. What's in the middle? Give. Give. You'll never understand forgiveness unless you understand that forgiveness is a gift. It is a gift. It is not something you earn. It is not something that you're able to work for. But it's a gift of grace to you. That when you come to God and you confess your sins to Him, God says, I'm going to give you a gift. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to promise me you're going to be better at this and better at that and do a better job here. No, what you need to do is simply be sorry for your sin, willing to turn and change by my power and grace, and then accept the gift of forgiveness. Now, let's talk about a gift briefly for a moment. A gift is a transaction, A gift, a giving of a gift doesn't happen without two parties. I can offer a gift to you this morning, but the transaction of a gift. Giving doesn't occur unless on the other side you actually take the gift that has been offered you. So the gift is offered, but the transaction occurs by the gift being received. Okay? There has to be both of the elements for the giving to transpire. It's true in the realm of forgiveness. When God says, When you come to me and you openly and honestly confess your sin to me and be, being willing to turn from it in repentance, I'm going to offer you a gift. Let me ask you a question. When someone who legitimately wants and desires, generously to give a gift to another person if that person rejects the gift what happens to the person who's giving it what do they feel if you really want to give somebody a gift you want your your, everything inside of you wants them to be blessed by this and you offer it to them and they don't really embrace it what happens There's, there's a sadness there's a sorrow that goes along with that And what do you think God feels whenever you come to him and confess your sin, and then he says, now I'm giving you forgiveness, and you don't embrace that and live in it. You don't experience the beauty of what the reality is, because you you say, well, I'm not really worthy of that, or I'm going to work hard, Jesus, so that I can prove that I'm worthy. No, 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 that's not the way it works. Grace is very different, folks. God's plan is that you learn to live in, say it with me, grace now grace does not mean that you can go on sinning and just do whatever you want and God accepts you no grace should change your life grace transforms you we'll talk more about that next week when you get grace in your brain when your brain becomes filled with grace you have a grace brain everything in your life changes okay your relationships change Your confidence with God changes. The way you deal with people changes. The way you live your life changes because you realize that grace comes to set you free from sin. It's an empowering element of your life. It doesn't excuse stuff. It actually empowers you to live differently. But you can't experience grace until first of all you've accepted forgiveness. So my challenge to you today is we put a wrap on today's message and just hold there dot, dot, dot until next week is to ask you again, how's your conscience? Have you hardened it? Have you taken what God's Word says and have you rejected it and ignored it and pushed it away and stifled and silenced the still small voice of the Holy Spirit inside of you to the point where your heart now is is callous? If so, the beautiful thing is that God knows how to tenderize hardened hearts, amen? If your heart's hard, it's not the end of the road for you because God knows how to tenderize hardened hearts. Have you, are you living in condemnation today? Reject false guilt and accept the reality of forgiveness for legitimate guilt. Come to God. Don't run from Him. Run to Him. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word today. We're so very grateful that You've given us this beautiful gift called grace. Lord, we want our minds to be grace minds. We don't want to have minds that are filled with with hardness, condemnation. We don't want to think that way. Those are strongholds of the adversary. So I pray that today where we've been hardened, I ask in Jesus' name that even in this moment the tenderizing ministry of the Holy Spirit would come, that the hard calluses of our heart would begin to be removed, that once again we we would be tender and responsive and sensitive to you. Lord, maybe we've been hardened by circumstances, hardened by choices that we made. But, Lord, today, help us to come back to a tender spot with you, I pray in Jesus' name. Lord, I also pray for those who've been living under the grip of condemnation. I pray that in this moment they would see that, Jesus, you've come to give us truth that sets us free. You've come to offer us a gift called forgiveness. And, Lord, it is a free gift. It's not something that we earn. It's something that you, you provide for us by your grace. Help us to reach out and receive it. And enjoy it and share it with others. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Hi, I'm Pastor Dale O'Shields. I want to thank you for listening to our broadcast of Practical Living. I trust it was a blessing to you, and I trust that you're growing in your spiritual journey. Or perhaps you've never even started your spiritual journey, and today this is your opportunity to make a decision to move forward, getting to know Jesus Christ, letting Him have control of your life. See, the Bible says of Jesus that he stands at the door and knocks, and if anyone will hear his voice, you can open that door and let him in. If you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, today is the day that you need to do it. In fact, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. If you'll pray this prayer sincerely with all your heart, mean it with all your heart, Jesus Christ will come into your life. Repeat this prayer after me. Say these words. Say, Jesus, I know that I am a sinner, and I'm sorry for all the things I've done wrong in my life. I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior of the world, that you died for me and rose again. Just simply tell Jesus, I believe in you. Now open up your heart and say, Jesus, come into my life. By faith, I receive you as my Savior, my Lord, in Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me just then, sincerely, I want you to know something. Jesus heard it, and he saved you. You're a new creation in Christ. You get a brand new start in your journey with God. But now you have to grow. You have to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus every day. And so we want to help you get started. And we have some resources available on our website that will do so called New Beginnings. So check them out. And again, I want to thank you for being a part of today's broadcast.